Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains podcast with me, Chris. Today we are welcoming back Kate, who last time spoke to us about Everest Base Camp, and today is speaking to us about quite the opposite. She spent a month in Tonga and had an incredible time, experienced, I'm pretty sure I'm in agreement with her, the friendliest community ever, and to top it off she swam with humpback whales and there's something else as well that happens just afterwards which, which tops off that experience for me uh, which you could probably hear in the way I talk about it but I'll leave that for you to listen to this is an incredibly good episode I'm really happy with with all the things she was saying about Tonga to the point where I'm this close to booking but please give it a listen and if you like what she has to say I'll put the blog down below but with no further hesitation Let's get straight into it. Hello, Kate. Welcome to Between the Mountains podcast again. Thank you very much. How are you doing today? Pretty good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, and not too bad. Thank you very much. Um, I say again because you may remember Kate from the Everest Base Camp podcast. So if you didn't know that I existed, then please go back and listen. But here we are today talking about Tonga, which is super interesting. I feel lucky to, to have found you who has been because you're right in the pitch you kind of discuss with me and that there's not too much information out there yeah exactly that was sort of one of the reasons I wrote my blogs about it was because when I was trying to research Tonga I could not find any up-to-date information about transport or accommodation or housing or anything like that it was just sort of tours and companies that were trying to get you to pay thousands of dollars to go and see this country but I knew that there had to be a better way to do it so I just mm. figured it, to figure it out myself yeah well I mean the, the logic's there right I'm sure the people who live there aren't paying thousands to, to go to the shop so <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> so with Everest Base Camp you just went completely by yourself uh not much research how does it compare to the start of this trip I would say it was pretty similar to be honest um Lovely. I had I actually don't even remember particularly why I chose to go to Tonga. I didn't really know anything about it at all. I think I just kind of knew that I wanted to see some Pacific Islands and looked at a map and Tonga was the closest one. Actually, I think I looked at the flights. I looked at the flights to the different um, like Pacific Islands from Australia and Tonga was the closest and the cheapest. So I just decided to go there. Perfect. So the overall impressions of the island then, how was it? Tonga was islands well yeah islands it was <laughs> so much better than I expected considering I had absolutely no expectations and the only thing I knew about it was about maybe two weeks before I left someone told me that you could swim with humpback whales there which was pretty amazing I'm um, just to top it off but that wasn't even really the best bit about it the best bit about it was honestly how friendly the people were and it's called it's got the nickname as as the friendly island and it really <laughs> definitely is <laughs> how, how did it compare so what was it about the people that made it so so lovely and welcoming well it kind of started that like, my first sort of glimpse into how friendly the people were going to be was when I was at the airport in New Zealand because my layover was through New Zealand so I was waiting at the gate and the entire um, lounge area was full of Tongans there was no foreigners I think the, the Tongan rugby team was also getting on the same flight as me, actually. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, they just played this massive game. And it was um, it was all over the news, actually, that week because they were playing against Australia in New Zealand and they lost by such a huge margin. Like, I think they might not have even scored any goals, but they still no. partied as if they had won just because they were such – that's just the kind of people they are. They were just celebrating the game and having played the game. <laughs> Oh, wow. That's the kind yeah. of positivity we all need at the moment, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, if you need positivity, go to Tonga. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so while I was waiting at the gate, um, this lady sat down next to me and she started talking to me and she was asking me why I was going to Tonga because, obviously, I have very white skin and very red hair, so I sort of stick out quite, <laughs> quite a <laughs> you lot. You don't look Tongan. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. So this lady was saying, do you have friends there? Do you have family there? And I was like, no, I don't know anyone. I don't know anything about Tonga. I'm just, I just decided to go to Tonga. <laughs> and then she was like, oh, okay. 
And then the last thing she said to me before we got on the plane was just, she said, just try not to get married. And I was like, <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> I guess so. And it's I didn't really, un- pardon? <laughs> it's not Vegas, is it? <laughs> exactly. Well, that's how I took it. And I was a bit confused as to what that statement was supposed to mean. But after spending a month in Tonga, like, I realized what she meant was just the people are so friendly and so welcoming and so nice. It could, would be easy to just end up staying in Tonga forever. <laughs> For sure. So yeah. flying into Tonga then, you've, you've landed. We've got the initial impressions of, of the people, mainly from the flight going in. Let's talk through your itinerary in a bit more depth then. So how was the first part of the trip? So the first part I landed in Tonga Tapu, which is the southern island. So uh, Tonga is made up of a bunch of islands. And the two areas that have international flights is Tonga Tapu, the main island, and then the northern island of, of Vavau. Um, Vavau is the more touristy area. Like it's, it's, it's where most of the whale tours go out from. It's where the resorts are and like the big travel companies will take you to Vavau. So that means the flights into there are a lot more expensive than the ones into Tongatapu. So that was basically why I chose to start at the south. So I flew into Tongatapu um, and then I found a guest house to stay there, which had like dorm rooms. So it was kind of like a hostel. There was maybe three other people staying in the whole place. So not very busy, but that was also one of the best bits about Tonga. And to be honest, at my first impression of Tonga Tapu, I didn't really understand like what the hype was about. It was an overcast day and I was pretty jet lagged because I had a long layover before that. <laughs> but but the next day the sun came out and then I realized like the the water everywhere around you is just turquoise blue, like picture perfect blue. And there's palm trees and little sandy islands everywhere and like exactly what you see on all of the photos of tropical islands basically just paradise then yeah like literally paradise and so that was something that like another thing that I didn't know about it I didn't know it was going to be like that so to then find myself in a place like that was pretty incredible for sure Um, absolutely yeah and then there's a few sort of sites and attractions around the main island and so I went and saw like a couple of them but I didn't go very far. I was just sort of wandering around. But what I noticed from the very first day is when you're walking down the street, everyone wants to say hello to you and everyone is interested in you. They want to know how your day is going, where you're from, where you're going, and they just want to try and help you in any way they can. And it's just a really genuine thing, which I found at first, it took me like a little bit to kind of understand that it was actually genuine because I'm just so used to being in really touristy countries where like the there's a lot of people trying to exploit the tourists and get them to yeah. buy their souvenirs or come to their restaurant or kind of that thing. And so it's sort of yeah. like the, the fake hospitality. Mm. Um, but Tonga was just not like that at all. It was, um, yeah. Perfect. Like, it, was, so... it was perfect. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually makes things so much more comfortable because I don't know about you, but I can kind of tell when there's a, a hidden motive going on. It's yeah, it's plainly clear with the people who come up and try and put bracelets on you and try and compliment you and your you and your other half, and then they're suddenly asking for money for the bracelet because they've worked so hard to make it. <laughs> it's yeah, plainly that, obvious in those sort of moments. Yeah. But I mean, it's yeah. obviously very obvious in those moments, but there's also a lot of times that I found in other countries where you'll like you'll think the person's being genuine and then they'll and they'll talk to you for ages and they're sort of trying to build that rapport and then they pounce on you and so that's why I I was already a bit wary but it didn't take long to realize that like the Tongan people are just so proud of their country and that they want to show it to you and they want to make sure that you can have the best experience possible in their country and that's just that's like ingrained in their culture there's like you can just see it from walking around so, like, I was yeah. walking down the street on one of the first days there and I met this lady who was just sitting on the beach on the side of the road. Her kids were playing in the water. And she called me over and she was she was saying, oh, what are you doing? Where are you going? So I sat down and started talking to her and 
she was really interested in where I was and what I was doing and we were talking about Australia and my other travels and she was telling me all about her family and the life in Tonga and those kind of things and then she decided that she just needed to show me everything on the island that I had to offer. <laughs> like, like this is after I'd been sitting on the beach talking to her for maybe two hours and then suddenly she realized that I hadn't seen the blowholes which the blowholes it's, it's this island's like biggest attraction and again Tongan people are just so proud of everything they can so she basically barreled all of us up her four kids and me squished into this little car and we drove around the the island for five hours she took me to all of the tourist attractions. She took me to her mum's house. She took me to her, her brother's house. Um, <laughs> then we ended up at her house having dinner and eating ice cream on the couch with her kids. And it was just like an amazing sort of start to the trip to be able to see Tonga through a local's eyes. Like she told me all about their sort of their customs and everything. Um, and she was telling me about, how there was, there's absolutely no homelessness in Tonga. And it's not a particularly wealthy country. It's still an, a, an island nation. But they just have this, like, everyone's family mentality that they would never let someone be homeless. They would give them a piece of land and some shelter and help them with fruit trees or something like that. So everyone's got food and everyone has shelter, which, I mean, like, I've never been to another country where you can say there's no homeless people. Absolutely. That's quite the opposite approach here in the UK. It's, um, yeah, that's fantastic that they've got that positive community mindset. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like the fact that this lady just decided to drive me around the whole island. And then when I was trying to give her some money, so like she went to fill up for gas and I thought perfect opportunity to give her some money to say thank you. And she just blatantly refused to take anything because she was saying that it was her honour to show a guest to the country around that's incredible and, yeah and, and as a as a solo traveler having not done much research as well what kind of effect did that have on you leaving leaving her after spending five hours together well I was a little bit sad to be honest <laughs> was oh, like, really? <laughs> well I wanted to stay with her longer she offered for me to stay in her house and she was saying that we could cook together and she would introduce me to her family and everything and she was like it was a really genuine offer except I was already planning to go somewhere else the next day, so I couldn't stay. Yeah. But it was like the perfect welcome to the country, basically, and it really sort Relaxed of... Relaxed you? Yeah, definitely. Like, I, was a, I, w I can say that when I was going there, I was a little bit sort of apprehensive about the fact that there wasn't the normal travelling infrastructure. Like there isn't proper hostels or, or like buses, or like the kind of yeah. things where you would normally meet other travellers. So I was feeling a little bit alone when I went there, but definitely not by the second day. <laughs> but then reading, I'm, I'm at the moment uh, reading a book by Emily Thomas called The Meaning of Travel. And just mm -hmm. in the introduction, she talks quite heavily on the fact that it's the feeling of otherness that we look for when we go traveling, that unfamiliarity feeling. And um, I get the impression with Tonga, you definitely get that. And the further away you are from a McDonald's being set up, I think that the more you could say that you're actually traveling as such. Yeah, well, definitely. Like, it was definitely the feeling of other, and I was expecting that. Like, I love going places which are so, so different to what I'm used to because yeah. it's kind of just, like, that little bit of a shock that you want. Like, you kind of crave that little shock. For sure, yeah, exactly. I think everyone listening to this knows exactly that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it happens to me all the time. Even if I've been traveling in a particular region for a long time, like if, like if I've been in Asia for a few months, then I always feel like I want to go to a different culture. So I'll like, I don't know, go to Europe or something that's like closer or to my home. Like it's a, it's a closer situation to how I live. But from what I'd been doing for the last few months, it's another like little jump of a shock. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we've had quite a wonderful intro to Tonga. What's next? So after that, we um, actually met a couple of people in the guest house that I was staying and they were all going to the island of Ewa the next day, which okay. is quite close to Tonga. And it was somewhere I was planning on going anyway. Um, my main challenge with Ewa was figuring out how to pronounce it because it is spelt <laughs> with 
an apostrophe before the start of the word. So okay. <laughs> so I spent the first couple of days going around telling people that I was going to that island that's spelled E U A. Yeah. So, yeah. So I figured that out. <laughs> that it's Ayla. I feel like at this point as well, I'll mention for anyone listening, all of these odd spellings and pronunciations, everything is in Kate's blog, which I will put in the uh, the description of the podcast. So on Spotify, iTunes, or Podbean, wherever you're listening, the link will be there. So don't worry. If you're frantically taking notes for Tonga, <laughs> don't worry. <laughs> the, um, All the I'll notes are already written down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, over Karen. No, that's okay. So um, so basically there's, there's two options for traveling around Tonga, which I discovered once getting there, was flying or taking a ferry. So obviously the ferry is the locals' option. Flying is pretty much tourists and, um, like, cargo they're the only things that sort of fly around Tonga okay so the flights are ridiculously expensive so I knew that that wasn't really going to be an option for me when I went there um but the ferry going across is how the locals take it there's two different types of ferries there's a slow one which is slightly cheaper and then the the faster one which is just passengers no cars and it's a little bit more expensive but only by like a couple of dollars or something so the the boat ride over was like incredible it cost i think seven or eight dollars um and it was an hour and a half through turquoise blue waters with tiny little um islands dotted around with sandy beaches and palm trees and there was flying fish and i even saw humpback whales breaching from the ferry wow yeah and this is just like a regular ferry on a regular day you're not going on a tour You've had the cheapest humpback whale tour known to man. (laughs) Exactly. And it's like, it's really common if you go on the right time of year, it's really common to see humpback whales everywhere. They just, because this is um, their main breeding ground in the winter seasons. So I was actually really lucky because I went at the start of uh, September, which is a little bit late for the whales. Um, but they were still still hanging around, so I was really lucky to see them. Awesome. But, yeah, so this ferry ride over, just crammed in with the locals, not a problem, wasn't very long. Um, and, yeah, and then I was in Ewa. So Ewa is kind of completely different to Tonga, uh, Tonga Tapu, the main island. It's, it's a lot less built up and it's a lot more rugged, so there's heaps more um nature around and less people so that's always ideal yes absolutely yeah the the tourism the tourism minister i think it was he just happened to meet us at the dock because i guess he had heard that there was some foreigners on the ferry so (laughs) um so he came and met us at the dock and introduced himself and took us to his office and he was so nice he was like because we told him that we didn't have anywhere to stay yet. So this was me and uh, four people that I'd met at the last guest house. And he he produced this list of all of the guest houses on the island. He drove us around to every single one so we could have a look and talk to the owners and choose which guest house we wanted to stay in. <laughs> um just like he wasn't getting commission from or anything. He wasn't trying to push any of them. He was just being friendly (laughs) um yeah so we ended up staying at this like really nice guest house sort of right in the middle of the island um and it was called Kiko's guest house and Kiko is the owner and him and his wife have run this guest house it's it's I think he said they'd run it for 25 years or more and he's also one of the original licensed whale tour operators in Tonga so he he knows everything about whales and he knows everything about the guest house and the islands. And it was just like a really nice experience because there was the five of us and his guest house is connected to his house. So him and his 10 kids from ages from three to 25 all live in the house next door. And then they just there's a pool table and they hang out and they cook you dinner and like they took us to their church service on Sunday, like it was. 
they kind of just adopt you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, at this point, has the has what that woman said at the airport saying trying to get married? Have you remembered that phrase at all, and have you started to realise it, or was that only upon reflection when you were leaving? No, I think I realised it pretty pretty quickly. Maybe yeah. maybe after the the lady who took me all around the island, yeah, the five the, hour trip, five trip. <laughs> free excursion. <laughs> yeah, like things just like this kept continuously happening to me my entire time I was in Tonga, and it just kind of kept like rebuilding my faith in humanity, basically. Yeah. But yeah, Kiko's was great, and um, and having visiting a church service in Tonga is actually something that I would recommend to people because it's quite a unique experience. And there's it's a because Tonga is a very Catholic country. It's actually illegal to do anything on a Sunday. Like you're not okay. allowed to go swimming. You're not allowed to work. You're not allowed to do anything. Like you can't go hiking. You're only supposed to cook for your family, eat. And go to church. That's all you're allowed to do on a Sunday. It's like super, super Catholic. <laughs> yeah, and it's but it's it's separated, so it's not just like one type of Catholicism. It's there's heaps of different churches, and all of the people go to the different churches, and they have slightly different beliefs, but they are all they all I like live harmoniously together, and they all have their their set Sunday schedules and that kind of thing, and their church services are all um, like singing basically. Like they just sing and all of the people have amazing voices. And I don't understand how an entire population can have voices that good. Really? Wow. Yeah. It's like Moana. Like you imagine the songs from Moana. Oh, no, don't do that to me. I'll convert like that. (laughs) I'll immigrate right now. (laughs) That's like their whole – so we went to the – we actually went to the service – it's like the youth service we went. So we went with Kiko's kids. They took us because there's more singing and it's shorter. The The adult one can go on for like four to five hours each, each Sunday. <laughs> so Jeez. they took us to the youth one and it was really nice. They, they were singing the whole time. Obviously, we had no clue what they were saying at all. But the minister um, welcomed us and then got everyone to, to bless us. <laughs> and, <laughs> And then at the end, everyone came up and thanked us for coming to their church service. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I've, I've read your blogs and hearing you talk about them in, like this is, is actually still shocking me, <laughs> just how friendly <laughs> people are. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I had experienced lots of friendly people and everyone, everyone has that country where they think is the most friendly people in the world, but I honestly believe that there is no one no nationality that's more friendly than the Tongans. To be honest, you're you're, you're fighting a good case for them. I've heard Thailand <laughs> is super friendly. I've heard one podcast from the Amateur Traveller podcast that he interviewed someone who'd been to the Philippines, and they said yeah. that the Philippines are more friendly than Thailand. But everything you're saying right now is nothing I've heard elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've been to the Philippines, and I, I I haven't been to Thailand, but I've been to the Philippines. And I honestly believe that Tonga is so much further above sure. the Philippines, even though obviously they are amazing people too, but don't get me wrong. But Tonga. Oh. Yeah, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, not, it's, it's, not, it's not a false dichotomy. You know, two, two sets of people could be friendly. <laughs> it's allowed. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I was on Tonga and Tonga is actually, a, um, sorry, Ewa. Ewa is actually a volcanic island. So okay. Even though there is some sandy beaches, it's it's got completely different sort of makeup to a lot of the other islands. So the beaches are really dark rocks and then really rough waves that sort of crash into it. But oh, it's wow. just like a really beautiful contrast besides seeing just like the nice white sandy beaches and palm trees. This was just like black, real rock and super blue water. So that was pretty wow. awesome the beach is just like it's a tiny island you can walk from one side to the other in a day pretty easily oh wow okay yeah <laughs> and as far as sort of activities go are there any decent hiking uh routes in the area at all because as soon as you say volcano or mountain i'm gonna straight away think can i walk up it <laughs> yes yes so the the 
the island is more of a hill. It's it's like a really old, very, very, very old volcano. So it's not like a mountain, but there is a national park on it. And I think it might be the only national park in Tonga from memory. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so there's actually lots of little hikes in there and it's sort of all in the forest. And there's this one tree, which is called, they call the tree of life, which they say is what the tree from the movie Avatar was based on. And nice. um, it really looks like it. It's amazing. It's this giant tree completely covered in vines. Like you can stand inside it and you can climb up the vines and through the tree. And wow. it's just like something that you would see in the Amazon, like with these massive green leaves and thick trunks and vines. and like. Did they tell world. you how old it was? Um, they probably did. But I don't remember. <laughs> well, you know what? G- Google is our friend. We can we can find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like that tree was pretty incredibly impressive. And that was in the national park. So there's like lots of walks around there. I didn't actually get to do any of the walks myself because at this point I was only planning on spending two weeks in Tonga and I had a flight out of Vavau two weeks later. So I was thought I was on a time limit. But then I ended up cancelling that flight. So, um, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so there's also um, what they call the rock garden and the land bridge. And so that's in the national park. Um, and it's it's sort of this massive field on the side of this giant cliff where there's just rocks everywhere, which is volcanic debris, essentially. And um, then the... The land bridge is what it sounds like, a land bridge. But the the most impressive bit about that was the fact that you can stand right on the edge of this volcanic cliff dropping into the ocean with turquoise water, which Whoa. was pretty impressive. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. And so yeah. next then? Well, after we saw all of the those sort of natural – uh, attractions they would say there was a couple more as well that were amazing but they they it's all there on the blog <laughs> yeah but yeah. then what we actually came to Aowa for was to swim with the whales so yes. that was obviously what a lot of people go to Tonga for in the first place is to swim with humpback whales because it's the only place in the world where you're legally allowed to swim with them um, is that because they take good care of them, or, well, or rather, <laughs> I'm not imagining them giving them pats on the back, but uh, <laughs> but as far as respecting their space and sort of being a bit con- conservation approach, is that why it's legal, or do they just have a carefree attitude? No, it's because it's because they have put in structures in place basically to make it so it's safe for the animals and safe for humans, and it's not going to alter their patterns or anything. Oh, okay. Um, so you have to go with. A registered company and they have a certain amount of companies that are allowed to be registered and the the ones that are have to go through this full training process to make sure that they're um not getting too close to the whales that sort of practices in like that they have to follow in terms of yeah. finding the whales like they can't chase a whale if it's swimming away they can't just follow it with their boat they kind of have to let the <laughs> whales come to them which sounds kind of silly, but like <laughs> come back. <laughs> <laughs> they swim fast, <laughs> but um, yeah. But that's what I've heard a lot of other places where you can swim with different types of whales. That the they like a lot of the tour operators are so sort of hungry for your money and for you to have the experience that they they chase whales that clearly don't want to be around humans. But it's not like that at all in Tonga. They oh, lovely. Yeah, so we went with Kiko, who um, is the one who owns the guest house, and he has one of the oldest companies. And um, one of his sons came with us, and uh, another lady who was um, she was working for him. She was actually a marine biologist, and she just loved whales, so she'd been just volunteering with him. So she was really interesting to have on the boat because she told us a lot about it, about them. Um, and what the the tip here as well though is that the because the whales migrate so they spend their winter in Tongan waters but mostly at the north of Tonga which is Vavau um, but because this was September the whales had started migrating south back to Antarctica so the 
the chances of seeing whales in September in Vavau is not very high, but in Tonga it's pretty common. Uh, Awa, sorry, the south. It's pretty common because the whales have started going south, so they obviously don't bootleg it all the way back down. They gradually <laughs> set, um, yeah. head south. So they were still in um, Awa. And uh, Kiko was nice enough that he normally he runs trips, which are like a half-day morning or a full day, and they're sort of strict times and everything like that. But he told us because it was nearing the end of the season – and he wasn't sure how many whales would be around. He was really generous and he said that we could go out for the whole day and if we didn't swim with whales, we wouldn't have to pay. And oh, wow. Yeah, like it's just another thing where he was super genuine and just really wanted to make sure that we had the experience that we wanted to have. And so we went out with him and we did see swim with whales. We swam with them like, quite early on in the morning actually and then oh, we still wow. got to stay out there the whole day so we swam with um, mothers in calves which was like that's the best possible grouping because the the mum whales are so huge and like you did you don't even really you can't even really fathom how big they are and they kind of stay down the bottom a lot but the baby whales they come up to the surface and like play and swim and breach a lot <laughs> and like <laughs> and even the babies are so huge. Like, I don't actually really want a mother whale to be playing <laughs> on the surface, to be honest. Yeah. But it was the most incredible thing was the fact that you can actually hear the whales outside of the boat. So we were like, we went out on the ocean. We went out to the spot where they kind of normally hang around. And Kiko just turned the engine off the boat. And he was like, oh, just, okay, just listen. And we were just listening and then I could hear what sounded like a cow, essentially. And it was like, it was this weird, like, cow, I, I don't even know, hippo hybrid sound. And I, I was like, it didn't, it, it, it didn't, I didn't realize that I'd be able to hear the whale out of the water, basically. So, but Kiko turned to us and was like, did you guys hear that? And I was like, uh, yeah. And he was like, that, that's the whales. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> And so then he was like, put your heads under the water. So we all just had snorkels on and <laughs> over the sides of the boat and looked under and this giant whale just swam right under our boat. No. <laughs> like, yeah. And it was just like this huge, you could see it from above the boat, obviously this big shadow of a, a whale. And so we all jumped in and then we like swam with the whales for a little while and the baby was playing with us and everything. and. Like, it was kind of scary when it was coming up to breach, to be honest, because they're just so big and so powerful and it just feels like they could just kind of, like, flick you out of the water. <laughs> yeah, jeez. But So when you say you're swimming with whales, uh, are, we, are we talking floating in the water with snorkels and we're having a look underneath, or do you get some kit on and you can actually submerge a, a little bit, or, or um, how are we doing this? Basically, it's kind of it's snorkeling and you can free dive a little bit, but there's no scuba diving equipment because you don't really need it. And also, it's kind of a bit more invasive on the whales. Yeah. So at least if you're at the surface, if the whales want to swim with you and want to engage with you, which the babies always do, then they can come up to you sort of thing. So you're not encroaching on their territory. But, like, you can still obviously free dive down a few metres and sort of get the different views of the, of the whales, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, so we sort of we swam with a few for, throughout the day. Like the, that first mother and calf would, um, you know, decide that they didn't want to hang out with us anymore and they would either go really deep or they would just sort of speed off into the distance and then Kiko would pull <laughs> us back into the, the boat. Um, but, yeah, it was just kind of like – you just sort of would drive to a, diff a different place, motor to a different place, and then just wait until we could hear them. Sometimes the boat kind of rumbled if they were really close and really loud. Really? Um, yeah. And, like, the the noises when you were under the water was just insane. Like, uh, I know I've, everyone's sort of seen documentaries of whales and heard the noises on a documentary, but I don't think I ever quite comprehended, like, that that's such a real sound, like it's not enhanced. It's just that's just how loud they are, and you can like 
feel it in your lungs, like it's vibrating. Well, that would make sense given how far they say other whales can hear them. Yeah, I think it was a thousand kilometers that other whales can hear each other. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's yeah. loud. Yeah, so like I, I just think that it was, I hadn't really thought that much about the whole experience of swimming with the humpbacks. I just like thought it would something, be something cool to have done, but like once I was actually doing it, I was realizing that that was, it was so much more than just swimming with whales. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we swam with a few. And then at the last whale that we were swimming with, um, we were just about to get back in the boat after the last one had gone for the day. And then these whole pot of dolphins just came up to us <laughs> and started flipping, like, like flipper style out of the water, double backflips and back in. <laughs> no. Yeah. And you could hear them like making the, the little dolphin laughing noise. And I, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with dolphins. I don't really remember why. And it kind of faded off a little bit, faded off a little bit. But like, as soon as I heard the dolphin noises, I was like, oh my gosh, this is the best day ever. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember I had my GoPro when I was trying to video this dolphin like zigzagging under the water and then jumping up and flipping and I just, it was too fast. But like, yeah. it's in my memory. It was incredible. For sure. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. <laughs> just that's really tops so, it off, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, if anyone's ever going to Tonga, you have to swim with whales. <laughs> Absolutely. And go at the right season to do so. <laughs> yeah, so so the, the southern hemisphere's winter is the um, the right season, but so like kind of the end of June to the end of October is when the whales are there. Yeah, perfect. So you're bouncing off endorphins and feelings of euphoria, having <laughs> just swum with whales and seen dolphins. <laughs> it's it, there's almost no point going on from here, but <laughs> where where to next? So I came back from Ewa to the main island again, to Tongatapu, because that was only an hour and a half away. And from Tongatapu, I went up to Vivau. So that was one of the things that I couldn't find any research on the internet about how to get between the islands without flying, because the flights were something like $700 for an hour flight. And so I obviously didn't want to do that. Um, But there is a local ferry, which... Is how the locals get up there. It costs about fifty US dollars, I think. Um, but compared to seven hundred dollars, that was much nicer. And it did take, I think, it took nearly uh, fourteen hours. I think the ferry was. Okay. Um, but it wasn't actually that bad. So when I had tried to Google this on the internet before going there the only thing I could dig up from like the depths of the internet was about this terrible 24-hour ferry that didn't have any walls and I read a story about how many times it had um, sunk and people had to be rescued and there was like this this article that I read that the whole everyone on the ferry died and that wasn't actually that many years ago so I was a little bit concerned but when I got there, I found out that they actually had a brand new ferry, which was like this really nice catamaran boat. And it used to be like a cruise ship in, in one of the other Asian countries. And they bought it for, to use as their ferry. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I was pleasantly surprised and it was way cheaper. Um, and then they just built this brand new um, ferry terminal. And we were actually the first boat to leave from the terminal. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So it was this whole big party and it was a little bit of a shit show to be honest the organization because they didn't know what to do yet but we made it on it was a nice pleasant boat ride and of course you're in turquoise waters going through past all of these amazing sandy islands with palm trees in just sort of what you can imagine as tropical paradise so it didn't really it didn't really feel like I was on a ferry (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And to be honest, when you were talking about the whales and the dolphins just then, the the, the, the phrase paradise kept going through my head. And I was like, yeah. So yeah. It's, it's kind I think, of loving Tonga so far. 
Yeah. Well, I think that's one of the things about it is that if you do look up Tonga, pretty much all you will find is the whales. That's just what everyone talks about is the whales. Yeah. But like it's so much more than that as a country. Like the culture, the people and the landscape are all reasons to go to Tonga by themselves. So, yeah. Sweet. So moving on to the next bit. So then I got to Vavau after this long ferry. And Lovely. of course I met some nice locals on the ferry as you always do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then when we got there, um, Vavau is completely different again in terms of it's really built up for tourism, which is quite different. Um, and when you're coming into Vavau, you come into a bay, which is called, um, called the called Refuge Bay, they call it, because it's Vavau is a group of islands. It's not actually just one island. And they're sort of – it looks like a, a squid or an octopus if you look at it on a map. So okay. there's this one big round cove in the middle which is protected by all these other islands. So it means that lots of the people who are sailing their yachts around the world, they all come to this harbour basically to have some shelter. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's cute. So, <laughs> yeah. And it also means that there's just incredible islands everywhere, like within your fingertips. So um, coming into there was completely different because it was sort of, the whole place you could tell was geared a lot more to tourists and to whales. But because I was there after the whale season, it was very different. So there was only, there was quite a few yachties still there. So the people who had decided to keep their boat there for the hurricane season or were just trying to get through like the last little section before the weather window closed. Um, but what I had read about there, which turned out to be true, was the best way to see all of those islands rather than booking like a, an island hopping tour is to just hang out in the little cafes and meet the people who own the yachts, which is what I did. <laughs> um, awesome. So, yeah, there's like um, – there's a few little – there's so a few very westernised cafes there, which I didn't find at all in the rest of Tonga, um, but it was actually a little bit – it's kind of nice, to be honest, to, to have – like eggs benedict on the menu for breakfast but <laughs> yeah um yeah so i just kind of hang out on this island for a little bit there's there's a couple of caves that you can go around and see that it's a lot more hilly on this island too so there's a nice hike that you can do right from the village up to the the lookout and it looks out all, over all of the islands um and then when i i was just sort of hanging out in one of the cafes and then one of the owners of a yacht just started talking to me he actually thought i was someone else but um <laughs> that's just <laughs> that, that old one <laughs> <laughs> well the, the, it was a funny story because he was looking for a new crew member and he'd heard that a boat had just come in that had broken down so all of their crew was looking for new boats to go on and he'd heard that there was an irish girl who was looking for a boat and i have red hair so he just presumed i was the irish girl um, fair enough. <laughs> to be fair, what are the chances of, <laughs> of that happening any other time? <laughs> yeah, well, it worked out for me because um, so I actually ended up being his extra crew member because even though he was telling <laughs> to me about he was talking to me about his boat and their trip and everything, and they were going to Samoa, which is where I was going to the next week. That was my next plan, and they were heading to Samoa and even though I had absolutely zero experience in, in working on a yacht, he just decided that uh, I could come along if I wanted to. So who says no to a free yacht ride? <laughs> um, I mean, worst case scenario, everyone knows how to make a drink, right? So you could be the hydration <laughs> officer. <laughs> exactly. But no, it was actually really good. But it meant, so we stayed in the, in the harbour for another week or a week and a half or something after I met them but it also met, meant that I got to meet like all of the other people who on the boats and so we had a couple of yacht parties that I got to go to oh, um, wow. and then, yeah and then it was like a couple of a couple of boats that they just would just decide to go out on an adventure one day so they would just everyone would pile onto one of the yachts and then we would sail out we found a couple of caves there's two caves which 
they run tours to in Bilbao and they're really popular. One's called Mariner's Cave where you actually have to, um, you can't see it from the outside and you have to dive down two metres underneath the wall two metres and then back up two metres and you come into this air pocket cave like underneath the rock. Oh, wow. If that makes sense. Yeah, so that was really cool. Like I'd never done that before and I never would have got to do that if I hadn't met these people. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and then there was another cave that was called Swallow's Cave and that one was really awesome. It was It's like an open-faced cave to the ocean. So we um, sailed there and then inside the cave there's like a, there's a, a bowl of fish um, that just sort of live in there. So it's like that really tightly packed ball that you can see, you've probably seen pictures of, and when you swim through it, they just part in between you. And the, there's a hole in the top of the cave, so the sunlight comes like directly in through this hole and shines a light through the water. So when you're swimming underneath, there's like all of this colourful coral and then these like big balls of fish, which like is, is just pretty magical. Wow. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. And like that was that was just an average day as someone who lives on a yacht, <laughs> I found out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad way to live your life. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It wasn't at all. And like I just I had a little bit of a preconception before going there that I might somehow eventually end up on a yacht, but I didn't really imagine like that <laughs> to to actually be on a yacht and I spent a month on it with them so like a decent chunk of time living yeah. the dream absolutely and you say you're going to Samoa a week later so is this getting to the end of your time with Tonga then yeah so from Vavau there's only one more island that I went to and we went on the yacht so I didn't actually write about it on my blog yet but I might in the future um but it was called Neotuatapu, which is a mouthful in itself. Yeah. But like, and it's very, very hard to get to. But if you have the chance to go, I would highly recommend going there. Like it, it was probably my favorite island out of all of the islands in Tonga that I visited. And the only oh, wow. reason I got to go there was because they happened to be stopping there on the way through with the yacht <laughs> um oh, wow. there is one flight a week i believe that comes in and out and a cargo ship that you can get a ride on if you need to goes once a month to deliver goods um but, <laughs> yeah it's super remote it's like way way up north it's actually technically in a different time zone to the rest of tonga but because it's part of Tonga, they just like pretend they're not and they use the same time zone. <laughs> Don't talk about that. <laughs> yeah, it, it was really funny because when we were sailing there, like the, the console, which has like the auto um, pilot and that kind of thing on the, on the boat, it tells you what the time is. And we were watching the time. And as we technically left Tongan waters, but we were still on our way to near to the Tapu, the time just clicked over an hour. And then as soon as we got to Neo to Tapu, it clicked back. But, like, we hadn't changed course. <laughs> oh, really? As a yeah. nerd, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when well, you write about this, this island, make sure you write your... Uh, when you write about this article, you can make sure you give your best charismatic tips to befriend captains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, so we got to near to Tapu and we got there just as the sun was setting. And the island itself has, I can't remember how many people on it. It wasn't very many people. It was only a couple of hundred people who live on this island and it was split up into three villages. Um, and then across the island, there was this giant volcano island, which literally is just a volcano sticking out of the ocean. And Jeez. Like that at sunset, which was when we were arriving. So we had that island, the Neotio Tapu on one side, the volcano kind of behind us, and then one of those tiny little picture-perfect um, islands that you would see with the white sand and then just like five palm trees in the middle. Like that, <laughs> that, oh. that kind of island was right next to it. 
and there was no one there. We were the only boat that they had had in like a year or something coming to visit them. Um, Jeez. And it was just magical, basically. So we anchored there. Um, the next day, I think we kayaked out to that little island with, with the palm trees, and it had the most amazing coral reef just just right there within like a kayak paddle from our boat. And there was no one else around. So we got to snorkel around there. We saw some tiny little sharks and like every single type of fish and giant clams, which I apparently aren't very common. We saw like three of them. And um really? Yeah. Like all of this really cool stuff, which again, like not very many people get to see, which is really special. And then when we went we went to the actual island of Neototapu where the people live um, and we met this lady on the dock like the second week they saw us coming over in the dinghy they everyone wanted to know who we were because they hadn't seen this boat and hadn't seen boats in ages so everyone came over to introduce themselves to us we met this lady who told us that she worked at the airport which is also hilarious because the airport is just a, a field with a little <laughs> <laughs> a little three-walled structure um, that they, they do the check-ins in. But she – so she told us that she works there one uh, – yeah, she works for two hours a month at the airport doing the check-ins for that flight <laughs> that comes in. <laughs> but Wow. She, yeah. But she took us to her house, as you do. Um, she yep. gave us this giant fruit basket and she was like, oh – my husband was supposed to take it out to your boat when you, we saw you arrive, but we hadn't quite got around to it yet. But here's your welcome basket. <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, and then she drove us all around the, her island. It is not very big, but she drove us all around the island, introduced us to everyone. You met her mum, of course. You met all of the locals, <laughs> <laughs> all of the dogs. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, and then she told us that the – education minister of Tonga was flying into the island like the next day or something and so she said you have to come to the airport and we were kind of like okay like I guess we'll come to the airport we didn't really understand what it was and she was like okay well, I'll pick you up at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning so we met her at the dock at 11 o'clock the next morning and then we get in the car and then her kids are all there dressed up ready for school so we drop her kids off at school and we keep driving to the airport. And then when we're standing in this field waiting for the plane to arrive and she's in her best, her best um, work outfit, hair nicely done and everything, and she, we, all these more people kept arriving at the airport and we were like, none of these people are flying out, so what are all these people turning up for? And then, like, the, the mayor of the island turned up um in his like official clothing and everything and at this point we're all feeling very underdressed and then <laughs> the, the education minister for Tonga steps off the plane and shakes our hands first and we're all like uh <laughs> what are we doing here <laughs> so then we all get piled into more cars and then we drove to the high school and we ended up being at the high school graduation <laughs> for the <laughs> island <laughs> So that's why the minister was there. So that's why we met the minister. And then we felt a little bit bad because everyone kept looking at us rather than the kids that were graduating. But um, we we got to witness that um, interesting moment. For the sound of things, though, the kids who are graduating could probably understand, judging from how their culture is. They, they'd probably be like, yeah, go on, look, look at them, not us. Yeah. <laughs> we're staying on the island. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. It was like, it was just such a bizarre situation. And then the next day um, was the day that the, the cargo ship came with all of the supplies. So they were telling us that um, they only get their supplies in once a month and they can't really grow anything. They can grow fruit on their land, but nothing else really grows. So she said that there's a colony of about 100 people or less that live on the volcano. And that's where they actually do a little bit of farming. So if they want to yeah. go to the market and buy something, they have to 
like take a boat over to the volcano to buy some vegetables um, and come back. But like anything canned or anything like that has to come in on this cargo ship. And as you can imagine, not much happens on this island. So on the cargo ship day from 6 a.m., everyone who lived on this island was sitting on the dock waiting. They brought their own chairs. They brought picnic rugs. They're all just waiting for this massive event. Oh, really? That's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that was also pretty pretty amazing to get to experience. Besides the all of the rest of it, like the snorkeling. I didn't even mention the the turtles. There was turtles everywhere. (laughs) You you keep you keep adding to this. It just keeps getting better and better. I mean, it's hard to remember everything. There was just too many good things. Jeez, yeah. But that was my time on Neotiwatapu. And then it was just to sum up my whole Tonga experience. When we were trying to leave the country, um, we so when you're when you're on a sh- uh, a privately owned boat, if you're entering or exiting a country, you have to go find immigration basically as soon as you get there if they don't come to you. And in island nations like that, you're only able to check out of a country and get your exit stamp from certain places. But we had re- um, researched before, and near Tiwatapu did have an immigration. Um, place basically which mm-hmm. is pretty much solely for people who come there on boats because there's no international flight so you actually couldn't leave there any other way so we'd been told that the immigration lady was at her office which was at the school um on certain days of week at certain times so we had organized with her the day before we were leaving what time we would come to get our exit stamps and get the paperwork done and everything um, so we took our dinghy over to the island. We were starting to walk because it was in the next village over. And then we walked past someone's house and then up the road, just like a hundred meters further, this, this lady pulls over her car on the side of the road and she was like, where are you going? And we were like, oh, we've got to go to the immigration. She was like, oh no, I've been meaning to say hello to you and welcome you to our island. I've seen you, but I just haven't had the time. And she was like, I was just sitting in my garden and I saw you walk past my house. So I thought I had to come and take you somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, okay, well, we're going to the immigration. She was like, okay, well, I'll take you. So we got in her car. She drove us to the immigration lady's house, uh, not the house, the office, but the lady wasn't there, even though this was supposed to be one of the times that she was there and we had organized it with her. So she was like, this lady that we had met on the side of the road was like, oh, don't worry. I know her mom, where her mom lives. So we, she drove us to the immigration officer's mum's house and, and <laughs> to see if she was there. So then we had tea with the mum and the mum was like, oh, no, I don't know where she is, but I have a phone number. So then we had to call her, the immigration lady's house, and then her husband answered and she was like, oh, no, she's at her friend's house. So <laughs> we ended up driving to the immigration friend's house, but by this time the immigration lady had left. So we ended up going to the immigration lady's house and it took like three hours of driving around this island. And I think we visited every single house on the island trying to track her down. But <laughs> it was just like, everyone was just like, oh, I know, I know her. I know her friend. I know where they live. Like, we'll just take you. And then eventually we found the immigration lady. So we had to drive her to the immigration office so she could get the stamps. And then <laughs> when we got our passport stamped, she didn't actually have an official exit stamp for Tonga. It was just a date stamp. So it's my favorite stamp in my passport that I have, and it probably always will be. And it literally just is handwritten, and it says, departure from Niutuatapu, and then stamped the date. And it's handwritten. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I love that. And then that was the end. <laughs> that was the end. Then we sailed to Samoa which is a whole different adventure. <laughs> well, I mean, if you have the time, we can definitely do another podcast on that. <laughs> well, I mean, we got rescued by the Coast Guard of Samoa after breaking down and being stranded for 24 hours. So it was pretty interesting. So we'll start off, we'll start off with quite a kick then. <laughs> <laughs> so before we get to some wrap-up questions then, is there anything else we need to know about Tonga? Um. Well, the only advice that I would really have for going to Tonga and traveling Tonga 
is to make sure that you have patience because it really is the epitome of island time. Like <laughs> it's, it's not in a lazy way though. It's just in a relaxed way. Like the ferries, there are ferries and they're supposed to go on certain days, but sometimes they just won't feel like going that day. So they'll say they go the next day, but like it's, you just have to be flexible with it. Like you can't really stick to a schedule in Tonga. So I would advise to go with enough time that you can build in days to do nothing, especially on Sundays. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So talking about going there as someone listening to this podcast, if you were to go again, what would you do differently, if anything? Um, I'm not really sure. I think I would just go with a more open mind at the start. Like it wasn't very, it didn't take me very long to sort of understand that the people were so friendly and so welcoming. But I think, I think if I went again, I would just go in with the expectation of like not really knowing where I was going to end up and just sort of embracing the fact that everyone invites you to their house and just always saying yes to that kind of thing. Like if someone offers you to have dinner, to go have dinner with them. If someone wants you to spend a few more days with them and stay with in their house, like spend a few more days and get to know the culture more. Yeah, for sure. And that's not a bad tip, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, we spoke about that sense of otherness earlier, and then you kept mentioning such unusual situations that are so <laughs> happy and positive. It's really a culture that's just completely alien to so much in well, really anything west of it, which is the almost the entire world. Yeah, really is. <laughs> what was the most like... un... I was going to say, Sorry. what's the most unusual moment you had out there? Oh, man, that is a hard question. <laughs> uh, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Like, I think they were all pretty unusual, but I, I feel We've like... We've been to the... church. We've seen a high school graduation. <laughs> We waited for a cargo ship to come in. We've had quite an important lady take you around for five hours. <laughs> I feel like that was probably the most unusual because it was the first, it was the first thing really. Like the, yeah. the first time where I realized that this was such a, a special country and the culture was so amazing. And that lady who took me around for five hours turned out to be the king's niece just at the end. She just told me that <laughs> dropped a little mention that she was the king's niece. <laughs> Just casually name dropped herself. Oh, by the way, <laughs> oh, the king's news. <laughs> Maybe not such a deep voice though. <laughs> uh, yeah, a um, little bit, a little bit more high pitch. I think the most surprising thing, uh, my guess would be that that would be the friendship or and the the community aspect of the island. Yeah, a hundred percent. Like the for a culture that is so religious and so sort of strict in that way to be so opening, welcoming and opening and like relaxed is like two things that you don't often get together in those sort of extremes. For sure. And this, I'm going to ask you this question again. And now for anyone who hasn't listened to the Everest Basecamp podcast, <laughs> I really, really, really rec recommend you go and listen back to it. It's just incredible. And I asked this question in that podcast and I feel like I'm just being stupid asking it in this one but if you live one moment what would that be oh uh, <laughs> i think it would have to be the whales like <laughs> wow <laughs> you've taken I'm... me by surprise <laughs> what, what did you think i was gonna say <laughs> oh, I, I, precisely uh, could, could you add a second one on there just just to sort of spice it up a little bit um okay my second one the second so you, one's even you've harder just relived the whales so <laughs> yeah i know so, so in this situation, you you've just seen the whales and you've relived that moment and you shot Chris, and the um you can now teleport to anywhere else in the island free of charge, and you can then go and relive another moment. I think I think the snorkeling in Niue Atapu because it's it was just so isolated but so picture perfect. Like it's it's something that you would see on a postcard and you see in magazines where it or like. Even in cartoons, when you just see that tiny little yellow island with one palm tree kind of thing and then, like, fish, yeah. that's what it was, but it was real life and we were the only ones there and the locals didn't bother to go snorkeling out there because, like, 
they lived there. That's just normal. So it yeah. was literally just the four of us on the boat and this private island essentially with turtles and coral and sharks and fish and palm trees. <laughs> Jeez. Well, listen, I-, I could probably quiz you all night, but thankfully <laughs> you have a place where we can recommend people to go and read up on Tonga. So tell us where can we go to find more articles on Tonga and more locations that you've been to? My website. So my website is bagsalwayspacked.com. So bags-always-packed.com. A bit confusing. Um, but my website is sort of based on budget adventure travel. So I like to show exactly how you can travel with not much money. Like I don't travel in a luxury way at all, but I still manage to see so much and do so many things with like in the cheapest way possible and I I just think that's really important to show people that it can be done and exactly how to so how so people can do it themselves for sure and I think if you're listening to this podcast there's definitely something on there for you because to put it into perspective we've done one podcast on Everest Base Camp and then another podcast which is this one which is the complete opposite of Everest Base Camp so <laughs> and everything in between so you'll definitely find something on there that, that you love so Kate thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's it's been my pleasure thank you you're welcome thank you for having me and that was Tonga quite an incredible experience if you ask me uh, you're definitely experiencing that otherness that people look for when they go traveling that culture just seems to be the most welcoming and friendly thing on the earth so I really hope you enjoyed the the podcast if you'd like to come on the show then please do get in touch with me the details are in the description and if you liked the episode please share it with all your friends this is how we'll grow and you can spread the love and we can really start pushing how far we can go with this podcast but i hope you have an incredible day and i'll see you in the next one